One of our great challenges is discovering and identifying our individuality and living up to it, while at the same time balancing it with the good of others and the greater good. But they seem to be contradictory. How do we find that convergence of the two? This is the topic we will be discussing, creating harmony between diversity and inclusion. Hello, Simon Jacobson here, Meaningful Life Center. We will be discussing creating harmony between diversity and inclusion. This program is dedicated in loving memory of our dear friend Sharon Gans. You will forever be remembered. Your teachings will live on forever and continue to inspire so many. And this indeed was one of the themes that Sharon, a good friend of ours, would focus on in her teachings, and that is creating that harmony between diversity and inclusion. So let's begin, obviously, with a dilemma. There is a dilemma. If somebody is going to be a fierce individualist, which means that they will live up to and follow their own heart and their own conscience as their guide, it's inevitable that there's going to be a conflict with others who are also living up to and actualizing their own individuality because there can be a conflict of interest. Not only there could be, we see history is fraught. All the battles and wars fought between individuals, between communities, between nations, and so on, was exactly that. It begins with two people, each have their own interests, and then... Those interests clash. How do you deal with that? So there's, of course, the very brute <laughs> approach called today the survival of the fittest, that whoever is stronger will prevail. It has nothing to do with justice, has nothing to do with righteousness, nothing to do with being fair. The, the weakest will fall as prey to the predators, to the stronger predators, as we see it in the wild, as we see it in, throughout nature. Now, is that what we should be expecting? So, of course, most human beings do not believe in anarchy of that nature, where everyone just does whatever they want because we will ultimately destroy each other. So for coexistence and cooperation, even for the selfish interests of an individual, we need to find ways to work together. But that could also be superimposed, like the concept of red lights and green lights. When you're dri driving in traffic, you can't have everyone driving in the same, in the, at the same time or going in different directions. So there's intersections. You have a red light. So one stream of traffic stops. And the other one can pass through. And then the light changes from red to green. And they can move. And the other path has to stop. A simple example that you can find in so many areas of our social negotiations that we've developed throughout history to, to coexist with each other. Yes, it's true. If I want to get someone quickly, I, sh I, sh I would want to pass all the red lights. 
But I understand that if I do that and everyone does that, we'll have accidents, God forbid, and we'll have chaos. So this can be understood by many social mores, social conventions that we develop in order to be able to coexist. So basically it's to curb and somewhat harness and tame that fierce individuality so there can be cooperation and coexistence and perhaps even complementing each other and we grow together. Listen, people go into business and partnerships, alliances and so on. And same thing, peace treaties between countries because it benefits every individual. It's win-win until it's not. So one could argue that that's the human being, in the words of Richard Dawkins, is the selfish gene, but the selfish gene determines and establishes different rules in order for it to thrive. It needs cooperation. However, we all understand that history is still fraught with wars, despite this uh, principle, because very often one individual is not ready to follow those rules, and they're interested in dominating or they think those rules are not fair. Or they look at others as being inferior to them. I mean, you can go through many different ways of explaining it. But let's bring it back to the individual. Let's talk, for example, in the, the, the organic family, a family unit. So you have a father, you have a mother, you have children. Obviously, each have their roles. A harmonious family will be one where not everybody's doing the same thing, even though at times in dysfunctional homes, that's exactly what happens is that somebody dominates and expects that everybody else just follow along. But, but, excuse me, let's speak about, however, in a healthy environment, a functional home. Different roles. Children have different personalities. The parents have different personalities. And yet, they find a way to work together. So what exactly is the secret of this? Do we need to somewhat compromise and limit that individual in order for there to be cooperation, or or not. In terms of government and politics, this has been a dilemma from the beginning of time. The question is, when you bring together a union of different individuals, how do you make sure that the greater good is upheld while also not limiting the freedoms of an individual? The United States of America faced this issue. United States of America, United States, a union and indeed embrace the Latin term e pluribus unum, from the many one, meaning to say that the many remain many, but the many are directed by one objective, to create a nation where, which will respect the rights of every individual, in the words of the Declaration of Independence, that all men are created equal and are endowed by the Creator with unalienable rights, the right of freedom, expression, and all the freedoms that are stated there in the Bill of, and in the Bill of Rights. But the fact is, look, we see today the polarization, the conflicts, different political interests, different spiritual interests, different religious perspectives on many matters, and yet the union holds because we found a way to have civil dialogue. Well, until we don't have civil dialogue, and you see today so much of that the vitriol coming out in the media, in the streets, without getting into which side, just in general, and some people are wondering whether this will hold, whether the union will hold, will there be civil war. I, for one, because the basis and principles of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution 
have preempted that by stating certain principles in place. So I, for one, believe in the, in the spirit of this country. But obviously, it's all human beings. And human beings can become volatile, can become <laughs> desperate, can become even violent. My hope is that it won't. And I hope, my hope is just as for over hundreds of years the country has held, it will continue to hold. Because of the principles we're going to be discussing now, exactly that, creating harmony between diversity and inclusion. So let me pose it now in more mystical terms, Kabbalistic terms, if you wish. Not quite Kabbalistic, it's quite, quite rational in the sense, meaning you don't need to require metaphysical ideas, but it is based on metaphysical concepts. So let's begin with the story in the Bible. The Bible talks about this particular issue, the creation of diversity. Whereas we know there are the six days of creation as described in the Bible. Day one, creation of light. Day two, the creation of division. Separation between the higher waters and the lower waters. The firmament, the sky, and the water below. And then day three is the creation of vegetation, of growth. And so it continues on. But I want to focus on one, two, and three. The numbers one, two, and three indicate something. When there's only one entity, there's no room for conflict. There's no room for division. There's no room for divisiveness. Because there's no diversity. If you only have one, there's nothing to battle with. There's no one to argue with. Two, the number two indicates two entities. As soon as there are two entities, on one hand, yes, you have diversity, but you also have the possibility for division, for divisiveness, and ultimately conflict and battle. And that's exactly how it's explained, that on day two, the concept of machlekes, in Hebrew, the word for conflict, was created. So when there's a oneness, a seamless oneness, there's no room for that. However, when there is a division into two, just two, it already begins the potential, potential for conflict. And number three, as we shall discuss, is actually the unifying harmony that connects the two. The diversity and the inclusion that allows for us to be a combination of both together. In a full sense of the word, not superimposed, and definitely not the first option of survival of the fittest. So let's talk about nature and the human body. We see it played out all the time. Nature is made up of trillions and trillions and beyond trillions of cells, billions if not billions of organisms, species, each one in their own way, and within each species, a multitude. And that's in the world of the mineral world, the vegetable world, the animal world. And yet, unless disrupted, usually by human beings, nature has its own way of balance and harmony in a most fascinating and most amazing way. You see it the most, sometimes in very strange ways, how parasites work in cooperation with different creatures, eating of their insects, so they're getting their food, while the animal, which allows them to spend time on its back or on its skin, is being protected. Cross-pollination, that very concept of pollination, where the bee feeds off the nectar but then carries the pollen to the next flower, 
which is so much part of how nature works and how the balance is maintained. I mean, the list goes on. I'm just using two small examples. When you think about how vegetation, how leaves absorb carbon monoxide, an entire process that protects the planet. Even storms, like hurricanes and volcanoes, what we call natural disasters or earthquakes, where, not, where no human beings, there's part, there would be no damage. On the contrary, it would actually keep the balance going. You know, earthquakes happen because the crusts of the different tectonic, tectonic plates, tectonic plates are rubbing against each other, so they need to relieve its tension. There are earthquakes and volcanoes happening all the time under the water. Nobody knows about it, but it maintains the balance. So if you think of it, it's an entire, it's a symbiotic symmetry of millions and millions and billions and trillions of different elements all working together. Yes, from time to time, there can be something that creates a serious shift. But that too, even when you have a forest fire, you'll see that it's actually part of a healthy process of regenerating and recharging the battery, so to speak, as things grow back. And look at how the fascinating regrowth that happens after a fire. There are places where they actually deliberately will ignite fires to keep that balance going. When wolves in the Yellowstone Park, for example, were went almost extinct due to hunting and so on, what happened was the elk began to multiply in numbers and destroying the, the fields and destroying the, 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 the other parts of nature. So even the predators are necessary. You eliminate the predators, the prey will multiply in ways that will further destroy. So you need this entire chain of events to keep the balance going. It's so fascinating that we have never, we have never, we haven't even gotten to the bottom of it. We see it all the time and everywhere. And the same thing in the human body. Just take a piece of food into your mouth. How many processes begin to function and work in a healthy system, digestive system? So besides the the teeth, the teeth um, grinding the food, breaking it down, allowing it into the gullet, then it begins to the process of digestive process, breaking away the nutrients, getting eliminating the waste, turning it into blood, combining with the oxygen. I mean, it's an entire process that should one step not work properly, God forbid, it can create death. We have between 35 and 75 trillion cells in our body. One mutant cell can create havoc. So you see from this clearly a diversity of multitudes, an almost infinite diversity, and yet a total inclusion, a total working together as a unit. Now, when it comes to nature and the human body, you could say there's no free choice. Every piece of the puzzle does its part. Human beings, obviously, have the ability and the choice to either work together or not work together. So let us go back now to one, two, and three. In the beginning, when there was one, when there's oneness, yes, there's no room for conflict, but there's also no room for beauty. Because beauty is dependent on diversity. As beautiful as the color blue is, or red, or green, or whatever your favorite color is, as eloquent as one musical note may be, 
just one is monotony. Music, a, symph- a, a, a symphony, a musical composition, and the same thing with colors, art, is always going to be diverse. There are going to be many musical notes, many colors, many hues, many shades, but they all come together in a harmonious way. Is there potential for chaos? Of course, you take the musical notes and, and, and reorder them in the wrong order, it sounds like it'll sound terrible. It'll sound worse than one sound, just one monotonous sound. It'll be grating. The same thing with the colors. So the interesting irony or paradox is this, that diversity has the potential for conflict and chaos, but also has the potential for beauty. So that's why we need number three. Number three comes and takes the two and finds a common denominator or finds a synergy, something greater than the parts. And both, the common denominator, the synergy, while each one doing their thing. Take away some musical notes, or even one musical note, or one instrument from the picture. The same thing with the art, something's missing. They say when Mozart presented to the Archduke of Austria one of his first classics, the Archduke who thought he was a connoisseur of music said, Mozart, beautiful, but far too many notes. And Mozart purportedly responded, but not one more than necessary. So you can come to a structure, a beautiful piece of architecture, and decide, you know what, this room is extra and so on. Then you meet the architect. He says, one second, this was particularly planned. You take away this, the whole thing falls apart. We don't always see that. Same thing like in a narrative in a a book. The author, obviously, is quite aware because it was all driven by a vision that saw the harmony in the diversity. The number three within the two. But when we look at two, we can see potential conflict and definitely just diversity. We don't necessarily see their interact, interconnection. So now we'll talk more in Kabbalistic terms. In Kabbalistic, in the Kabbalah, and mysticism, it talks about two worlds. It really means two domains, you can say two archetypes, two um, states of consciousness, two types of reality. One is, is called actually the world of chaos. It's taken from the book, again, from the Bible, it says right away that the world was in chaos. The world of Tohu. If you want to write it down, T-O-H-U is the way the English transliteration. Tohu is a world where you have many different forces, but they have not yet developed and matured to be able to interact with each other, and there's a lack of interconnectivity. So there's diversity, but there's no interconnectivity. Then comes a world called Tikkun, T-I-K-K-U-N, which repairs that chaos of diversity without interconnectivity and that's world number two but there's a world one that comes before Toyo it's called Akudim A-K-U-D-I-M and the expression the way it's described described in the, in the writings of the Arizal Isaac Luria the great mystic ten energies bound in one container now that may sound strange so I'll just do a simple example Upon the moment of conception of a, a new child, a new life, whether it's in the human or in other species, what do you have? One cell. 
One cell, the egg has been fertilized by the seed, and you have one cell. What's inside that cell? The potential for everything. A while later, the cell will split into two, and then into four, and then continue splitting. And over a little period of time, the gestation, you'll see the development of the fetus to the point you start beginning to discern actual limbs and organs. And nine months later, average, a newborn is born. A new child is born. All began with that one cell. So there's a concentration of everything inside the one. But in the one, there is no room for conflict. Because it's still only one cell. Even though it may not be viable and things can happen at that stage, but you don't yet see the distinct different parts. Then there comes stage two, where the diversity begins to develop. But you don't yet have the inclusion. And then stage three is as it works properly. Well, in the case of uh, development of the fetus, obviously two and three work together. As soon as it splits, it's already complementing each other. But conceptually, think of it as a one, two, three state process. And the truth is this is true across the board. Anything you do in life, anything you build, anything you write, always begins with a one singular vision, a singularity. You have the concept in mind. Then you start breaking it down into details. You flesh it out. When you flesh it out, we all know there can be confusion. You can even have contradictions, and at some point you may have wandered away from the plot. That's why you need to reconnect it always to point one, to the point of departure, to make sure that you're keeping honest, integrity is maintained and preserved. Then comes the final product where you have many details, but it's all driven by that oneness. So what do you have now? You have the harmony within the diversity. So if you look at your life, things you're involved in, it's not difficult, if you apply yourself, to determine if something's not working, where's the problem? So it's like looking at any given experience in your life. Let's take a marriage, a relationship. So you have two distinct individuals. They come together. They have very different opinions on many matters, different personalities, different background. And yet, through love and through understanding and through communication and listening to one another, they can find a greater whole. So there's the one as you were as an individual. There's the one and the two when two individuals encounter each other. And three is when they find that symbiotic harmony. Now, there may be conflicts. So how do you address a conflict? You don't hide behind, you don't uh, escape from it. Some things are petty that you can just ignore, but if it's fundamental, you talk about it. And you try to find the greater good that comes out that's crystallized when you see two different approaches to something. Two different approaches to something does not have to mean conflict or even a cold war where you agree to disagree. Both can have some truth to it. And when you look at it, you come to realize there's a deeper truth that comes out from their conflict even. When I say conflict, I mean the different opinions. This is an exercise I do all the time. When you think of an idea, whatever, a new project, new concept, it's always healthy to ask yourself, what happens if you did it the exact opposite way? You stretch the idea in all directions, and you'll always come away with a more clear and crystallized concept. Now, when you do that, obviously, there may be a counter-argument and a counter-counter-argument. 
So initially, it can seem like, one second, didn't you just come up with a great idea? But you want to make sure that the idea is looking at all conditions and all circumstances. So stretching it and even going to the opposite direction, then you could say, you know what, maybe that idea wasn't so sound. Or maybe by looking at the things from the alternative perspective, like devil's advocate, so to speak, you come away and say, oh, one second, something's lacking, and I need to include something in the initial idea to make it sharper and more accurate. So there's nothing wrong with being able to do that. It's the process of brainstorming. Then there comes the point where you come to stage three and you finally come to a conclusion that can be in harmony between, harmony between the two. Now what happens when there's self-interest? So then you could argue, one second, it's not necessarily a harmony, it's only a cooperation. Both compromise because they want the deal. But if they left on their own, to their own accord, they would not do it the way the other person wanted to do it. They only do it because they want to have something from... So I'll give and you give, and each one gives, and we meet halfway. Is that also total harmony? So you could argue yes, because the project gets done, and it couldn't have been done without the two entities, or three entities, or how many, how many, as many partners there are, then that means that the greater good has been served, and, and you're both part of it. You, know, you ever look at a film, the end of a movie, you see the credits. I'm always taken by the fact that there's literally hundreds of names. I don't know if everybody, anybody ever reads through them, or, or, or uh, you know, there was always some music playing. But it's interesting, how many names, besides the actors, and there's the director and the producers, and then you have the, cin- the, the cinematographer, and you have the art, you have the, the, the design. I mean, on and on and on. And you wonder, how did they all get together? How did they all work together? And then you find out that most projects fall apart because they can't work together. Egos clash, interests clash. The people with the money want to dictate. But the ones that do get through, and you see a beautiful film, or the same thing can be with any work of art. And you realize nobody could have done it alone. So yes, at the time there may have been a clash of egos, I want it my way, your way. But at the end, here you have a product, a beautiful product, that if we put the ego aside, your individuality was not compromised. You brought yourself to it. You may not have gotten exactly as you wanted it, but maybe that's, that's better. Who says your way was the best way? So it actually that humility of recognizing that is also a dimension in growth. So the fact that we... I don't want to even use the word compromise, but we harness our individuality to work with others, and you get at the end of the day, you get something greater than the sum of the parts. So is that not a greater success than if you had just done it alone? So yes, an insecure ego may not be so happy with that initially, but at the end of the day, even the ego is satisfied. It would be like the human body beginning to, to um, get into a conflict, get into a, uh, an argument of which part of when I'm eating a piece of food, which part of the body is the most important for this process? Or any other activity of a human being. You don't see organs getting into such conflicts. I mean, unfortunately, it can happen when the body turns on itself, autoimmune diseases and so on. But in a healthy body, that doesn't work that way. Why? Because they all sense, whether you can use the word sense on organs, but they all have embedded in their DNA, a sense that they need each other and they work with each other and they're greater together than apart. 
And the same is true with us. The only difference is musical notes and human parts of the body do not choose. We have to choose. But in fact, we are each indispensable musical notes in a large cosmic composition. And every one of us and every one of our experiences and our ideas and opinions is part of that harmony. We need to recognize it. Unfortunately, when there's insecurities, when there are insecurities and fears and inhibitions and other things that impede us being able to appreciate ourselves, when you can't appreciate yourself, it's very hard to appreciate another. Because you're desperately looking for value. You're desperately looking for love and validation. The people who have that comfortable in their own skin and have that sense of self are the people that coexist easily with others. Because they don't need to fight for their turf. They're not fighting for their, for their value. So that's a question that we have to ask ourselves. When people say, I know my way is definitely the way to go, and I will not tolerate any other approach. Is that coming because you are objectively determined that that's the best way, or is it coming because you're protecting yourself and your interests? I don't know if many people will admit it. Because we always justify by saying, no, this is the best way. But each of us is subjective. I can argue and tell you, that suggests at least, that perhaps it's somewhat not completely an objective reality. It's what you need to feel comfortable or what you need to feel secure. You don't want someone taking away what you think is yours. But take away, take, put that aside for a moment. If you are completely confident in yourself, and then you hear someone another perspective. Why should it disturb you? You could still argue about it. But why should it be impossible? Why is it impossible that that person may have a point? Well, you've thought through every possible way. I can tell you as a writer, as a speaker, I love critique. I love when someone tells me. Obviously, no one likes to be, bit, to be severely criticized. But on the other hand, I embrace it because I know I'm looking for excellence. I don't want I'm not looking to be right. I want to see there's a better way to write it, a better way to say it. Of course you'd love to be able to say, you know, you said it the best way, you wrote it the best way. But let's be honest. There's always better ways. And then with more time, you always find another way of expressing it, sometimes sharper. Sometimes you go back and write, rewrite something you've written. So if you're looking for the truth and the integrity of the objective of what you want to present and not about whether I'm right or you're right, then you will find number three, the harmony between inclusion, diversity and inclusion, the harmony between the individuality and the whole. And the reason I gave examples from nature is because nature actually is an ex excellent teacher, including ourselves, including our own human bodies. Because you see right before your eyes, it's not a theory, it's not an abstract idea, you see what makes things work. And we replicate it in machines, in computers, in our mobile devices, in our technologies. We replicate it. We try to find the same thing, many different parts, all working together, excuse me, all working together toward one particular objective. And each one doing their unique, get, producing, providing their unique contribution. And yet you see how elusive this is. It's elusive because our psychological and emotional subjectivity blinds us. 
And even when we understand all this with our minds, when it comes down to it, we will usually gravitate to whatever makes us comfortable at the moment, even if it isn't good for us or good for others. So that's the challenge, my friends, that we need to look at ourselves closely. And I am a big believer in doing things step by step. You don't have to change everything. But if it indeed is the if the problem is indeed your own insecurity, or your inability to look at something in that fashion, the broader picture, then that then focus on that. Don't deflect it. Don't find excuses. And that's something that we each have to determine. You can't teach someone to be honest with themselves. That's something you need to make that decision. I know many people don't live honest lives, but they think they're more comfortable that way, to the point they don't even know and not even aware of their own duplicity or dishonesty. And I don't say this as a critique, I say it as an observation. It's part of the human condition. But we each have the ability to grow, and we each have the ability to also help others grow. Not through an assault, not through an attack, an attack or critique, but through example. When you behave in a way that allows diversity to feed the unity and they work together, that harmony between, the harmony within diversity, that becomes an example that others see and look at and say, something to learn from. Our children watch and see these things in our own homes. So people are always watching other people. Unfortunately, the blind leading the blind, and you see often, People who live very, um, we'll call it chaotic lives or conflicting lives. So others feed off of that as well. When you see others fighting for their turf, survival of the fittest, you also become a shark who's looking to survive and it may be at the expense of others. But we are trying to raise the bar, to live up to a higher standard, to be able to look at ourselves and say, one second, Yes, materialism divides, but spirituality unites. Our material interests, the food I eat, is mine. If I give you some of my food, I have less. If I give you some of my money, I have less. If I pick, stand up from my seat, you can sit there, but I can't sit there. So physical time and space is divisive, essentially. I'll call it diverse, but the potential for divisive. Better way of saying it. But then we have a soul. And the soul sees a bigger picture, the bird's eye view. It doesn't look at things quite in the same spatial and time-oriented way. This and not that. Two people who love each other may sit in two different chairs, but they're united as one because their spirit is connected. Two people who don't love each other can sit right near each other and have nothing close and common among them. Two people who love each other can be millions of miles apart and they still their love connects. So soulfulness, spirit, introduces a dimension of harmony and doesn't have the issue of time and space. This is yours and this is mine. Yours and mine can come together. The example for it is the, the flame of the divine is the soul of a human being, like a flame. What happens when two flames come together? They don't conflict. They actually lick and join each other. You ever see they're drawn to each other and they become one. The truth is the same as with drops of water. But with flame, it's even more obvious. Other things in existence, unless they can become a composite, a compound, conflict each other. Fire and water will not, one will 
annihilate the other. Enough fire will evaporate water. Enough water will extinguish fire. But two flames, two souls come together, then the flame gets stronger. Each of them gets stronger. And they don't get annihilated. The fact that they join as one just makes them both more powerful. And the same thing is on a spiritual level. Two people who love each other, it's not I give something up. I'm gaining something. So I'm becoming one by being absorbed with another in a higher experience, a transcendent experience. And that leads me to that final point, transcendence. Number three is transcendence. One and two, one is oneness, two is division or, or, or diversity, which can be com conflict. And number three is that transcendence, the transcendence of the individual parts as they become absorbed and united in a larger and greater harmony. This is the true formula for success in every area of life. Personal relationships, social relationships, the way we work, the way we develop projects, the way our experiences are with each other and with, uh, and with um, God himself. Every person in their own way can find the one, two, and three. Our goal is to find number three, the harmony within diversity, creating harmony between diversity and inclusion. I want to bless you all to, as you work toward that, an effort always yields results. May you experience that in your life even more than you have till now. But share it with others. This has been Simon Jacobson, Meaningful Life Center, MeaningfulLife.com, where you can find a diverse and, and uh, united series of programs for all types of uh, background, people of all backgrounds and interests. And please, please participate. Subscribe to our uh, channel and um, share with others. Comment. Really encourage you to comment. Let's keep the conversation going. Let's introduce even more individuals so the harmony becomes even more beautiful and the synergy grows a ripple effect across this world. So despite the fact that we have 8 billion people, and that's a blessing, but it's 8 billion people, 8 billion different instruments, musical notes in one large cosmic symphony. Everyone stay well and be well. Stay in touch. Thank you so much. This program is brought to you by the Meaningful Life Center. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at MeaningfulLife.com donate.